Hello, and welcome to DEI on Sports for March 15th, 2023. I'm Dr. Wes McKenzie, Sports Management Professor at Oklahoma Christian University. I'm with Gary Jones, DEI Director for the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma. How are you doing today, Gary? Doing well, Wes. How are you? I'm doing great. I guess we have NCAA tournament coming up. Yes. By, uh, Longhorns and Grand Canyon Antelopes are in the tournament. Of course, your Spartans are in there as well. That's what we do. You know, you can just go ahead and just uh, pencil us in uh, as you print the bracket each year. Yeah, 25 <laughs> straight for Izzo. That's that's impressive. Maybe not the a Mateen Cleaves uh, team this year, but you never know. You never know, right? <laughs> hey, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's 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 the groups that you don't expect to uh, go very far that make the runs. And so I'm hoping that uh, you know, hoping we have a little Sparty magic uh, in in the bag for us. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how far I put my Longhorns. I mean, they're obviously one of the you know top five to ten favorites potentially but that kind of scares me but and you know as far as grand canyon where i got my doctorate just hoping they uh put up a good fight against the zags oh yeah yeah it should be a good matchup looking looking forward to some some upsets and nothing can be worse than my bracket last year i feel like i didn't make it through the first day or two i mean it was just utterly destroyed so i'm looking for a bounce back here personally here uh with this <laughs> la tournament and on the women's side, we don't necessarily have to pencil it in. We could probably put it in pen, uh, the Gamecocks and making another. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 really, uh, for me, it's about seeing uh, how they do it, right? I, I think that uh, uh, if I was forced to, to, to possibly give an, another contender, uh, I'd maybe go LSU, uh, maybe Notre Dame in that order. But, uh, gosh, Don Staley has got those young ladies rolling. And uh, I don't foresee uh, anybody or anything getting in the way of that train. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess, you know, Stanford's another one who's potentially, a, if you could call Stanford a dark horse, you know, but uh, yeah. South Carolina it looks like maybe two in a row for them. Yeah, absolutely. Stanford Stanford always is, they're always good at tournament time. I mean, it, it seems like they play their best ball. So I would not be shocked at all if, if somehow Stanford came and rose to the top of that group as well. Well, we talk a little bit about uh, South Carolina and Dawn Staley in our interview that you'll hear uh, here in a bit uh, with our guest, Dr. Jen Fry. She's a sports geographer, tech founder, speaker, and educator, uh, you know, sought-after speaker all over the country, uh, also a veteran volleyball coach, has her doctorate in uh, sports geography from Michigan State University, who we were just All right, all right, all right. Um, so uh, you'll really, really enjoy our interview with Dr. Fry, but you know, Gary, as, as we look at the intersection of race and sport, what do you have your eye on this week? Yeah, definitely have my eye on, on a couple of things. I think one of the first things I have my eye on is some of the openings uh, amongst the NCAA men's basketball side of the house. Uh, some very interesting openings. Um, There's some jobs that have been filled pretty quick. Surprisingly, uh, you see some, some, some people who, uh, have kind of just ran out of ran out of time. I think to turn around a guy like Patrick Ewing, you know, in, in Georgetown. And so I'll be interested to see. This is the time of the year where, especially those programs who didn't make the tournament, people start making some decisions. So I'll be intrigued to see uh, what happens with some of those openings. Uh, I think one of the other big things for me that I am definitely wanting to keep an eye on is maybe some of just the local things here 
Uh, we just wrapped up uh, state championships uh, for men's and women's basketball high school here in the state of Oklahoma. And uh, just some really interesting and just maybe downright poor postings, some things we've seen from some parents in response to uh, some state championship victories from predominantly black schools here in Oklahoma City area. And so uh, it's starting to take some traction. One of the things that, that has been interesting about this is that it seems like the entire community is band together to speak out against this. And I think that's really, really important. So um, I definitely will have my eye on that as well. And then the last thing for me is just, you know, I want to see what happens here with Lamar Jackson. We kind of touched on that a little bit, but I want to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think that that will really gets turning here in the next couple of days. Well, it's just hard to fathom the public statements that folks have made coming out right away saying, oh, we're, we're good at quarterback. We're not going to pursue uh, Lamar Jackson. And of course, you know, we'll have some conversation with Dr. Fry about this as well. We talk about someone in their prime, former MVP, won a playoff game. Yeah. And as you talk about, you know, in some other contexts, just that the stereotypes and the language that are used where, oh, he's, you know, just a running quarterback or just the athleticism when he's one of the top rated passers in the pocket uh, in the entire NFL. And yet that's sort of glossed us. I actually saw yeah. an analysis someone posted on Twitter, which isn't always the best place for analysis, but uh, this was, you know, some good stuff, essentially looking at an ESPN segment and how all the B-roll that was uh, running during a conversation about Lamar Jackson focused on his running and his scrambling. Yeah. There uh, was barely any highlights of him throwing these just pinpoint passes. And that's the kind of thing that just fuels the narrative around Lamar Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it again, it makes you just wonder with all those moving parts as they move in concert, is there, is there a greater message here that's trying to be conveyed I don't know that any of us saw this coming as it relates to Lamar Jackson and his in his payday. And then, you know, related to what you're talking about with the head coach openings in, in NCAA basketball, you know, one of the potential openings that folks are talking about is at the University of Texas. Obviously, Chris Beard uh running into the trouble that he got himself into and, and got fired uh down on mm -hmm. the 40 acres, but now he has a new job at Ole Miss. But Folks are talking about Rodney Terry, who has done an amazing job, just came up one game short of getting a share of the Big 12 regular season with Kansas and then ended up you know, steamrolling Kansas twice in the matter of uh, a week to 10 days, including in the Big 12 championship game. And so Texas winning uh, the Big 12 tournament for the second time in three years and kind of the irony there, the first guy to do that. Shaka Smart, obviously, they stubbed their toe in a big, big way against Abilene Christian in the incidentally tournament after winning the Big 12. But Shaka Smart gets replaced, and now they're talking about potentially replacing Rodney Terry uh, in that same position after another Big 12 championship. And if that were just to happen in a vacuum, you'd kind of be like, wow, that's that's kind of crazy. But the fact that both of these guys are Black adds a whole other dimension to that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One one has to ask the question, what more was Rodney Terry supposed to do? 
right? I mean, a, a guy steps in, does a phenomenal job, <clears throat> phenomenal job with this ball club. And to think that he actually may have to fight to keep this job, I think it would, would be absolutely crazy. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's an institutional issue, but, you know, it kind of pulls at some strings, even going back to Charlie Strong, where, you know, some of the expectations might be out of whack with the athletic department. I kind of was hearing some rumblings from my buddy that, you know, what Texas is wanting him to do, uh, it's kind of far-fetched. I mean, I'm talking about like reach a final four and, you know, a certain level of, of, uh, of a tournament run when in essence, this guy picked up the pieces that somebody else dropped and, and put it back together in a masterful way uh, to, to hold those expectations. I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the other thing about that is that with the route he's going now, he may, he may make a final four, uh, and still may not end up being able to keep that job. And so it makes you wonder what is the end game, uh, for Texas? What is it that they're, they're wanting to accomplish? What is it that they wanted to coach? Is it that you want a big name? Is it that you want to splash higher? Uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully it would be about some wins and W's. Yeah. As we've talked about before, as a Texas fan, like I am, that's one of the situations where I feel like just the status of Texas as, you know, one of the top two or three revenue generating athletic departments in the country. And just this idea, oh, we're Texas, no matter what happens uh, on the field or on the court, uh, just really kind of the, the arrogance that goes with that, the pride that goes with that. And you know, maybe just that idea that, oh, we don't want to settle for a guy that was here on staff and that uh, we tapped as the interim coach. Right. We want to go out because we can, because we're Texas and go get, you know, just fill in the blank on a, on a big name. And we already have the answer there. I hope they don't overthink it down in Austin and that Rodney Terry gets a shot, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I sure hope so. Sure. So speaking of getting a shot, another thing happening in NCAA basketball is obviously every year you have the bubble teams that some make it, some don't. And one of the teams that didn't make it actually was, you know, the, the first team out, uh, Oklahoma state university yeah. second year in a row, missing the tournament last year was because of probation and being banned from the tournament. Uh, and it seemed like if there was ever going to be a, a year where a bubble team got the benefit of the, of the doubt, it might be OSU based on the fact that they are the only one to walk in those shoes uh, with the penalty last year. Yeah, it's a tough, tough, tough situation. Um, it's it's a situation where we're seeing that there's there's almost like there's interest being charged to OSU uh, for, for being penalized, uh, kind of like you said, nobody else. The entire investigation last year was punished, except OSU. And so they're dealing with the residue of that, right? They're dealing with the fallout uh, of, of that. Um, you, you, people have no idea what that does to a recruiting class when you go in and tell guys, hey, come play for me, but we can't go to the postseason, right? And, and when you start having those gaps, even like a year like now, when you can't make the postseason, you're still feeling that that gap from the from the year behind. Uh, and so to, to be penalized, uh, when no one else is penalized, and then to um, also, I mean, almost, you know, have to keep dealing with the, the residue of that, I think is just terrible. Um, I'm not sure we've seen this happen with any other 
uh, program, at least not related to this specific investigation, um, it, it's very hard to not connect some dots there um, as relates to uh, race and culture of every head coach involved in that that investigation. If, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, Boynton is the only black guy who, who who's a, a head coach in that situation. Uh, and, and even to that end, OSU, who's the only one punished, uh, you're, you're punished for a an assistant coach who committed uh, some things that you said were against rules before he came to your institution. That's the other part that, that's a bit tough, uh, is that you're penalizing the school for hiring a guy that did something before he even came to you. And that, I just think that that, that part of it is uh, it's, it's pretty it's – pretty, it's a tough sell, but I'm not sure that the NCAA – I'm not sure we have a, a, a resume or a track record of them doing anything that makes a whole lot of sense uh, <laughs> on, on, a, on a lot of fronts. So, you know, sadly, it's par for the course. Yeah. And I guess with that line of thinking, McNeese State is on the hook for some penalties potentially with the hiring of Will Wade or, or maybe not since, you yeah. know, Will Wade will probably be OK. Uh, yeah, he'll he'll probably be okay. Or they may not mind dropping the hammer on McNeese State, right? Who who like that's not a brand, right? Um, so so it's, it's very very interesting. If if something happens where uh, Will Wade is or, or McNeese State is punished, uh, I think that'll tell us an awful lot about uh, just how much of a joke this is or how serious this is. Uh, whether or not you know there's some penalties there uh, as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, we'll go ahead and throw it to our interview with Dr. Jen Fry. As I mentioned, uh, has a PhD in sports geography from Michigan State University. She goes all over the country working with folks at universities, C-suite groups, small and large teams, advising on best practices on creating more equitable organizations, communities, and teams. And at the core of all that, creating an organization, a department where each person feels a sense of belonging. We just had a wonderful conversation with her and take a listen. All right. We are excited to have uh, Jen Fry with us today. Uh, Jen is a, an expert, uh, in my opinion, on the intersectionality of race and sport, among several other things. But there are a very few people who speak to this area who actually uh, know what they're talking about, right? There are a lot of people who have opinions on sport and on race, and um, a lot of them are not qualified to speak on it. But Jen has a very unique uh, background in athletics as well as uh, just uh, her area of study and expertise. So we're excited to have Jen with us uh, on today. Jen, are you doing all right? I'm doing great. How about you, Sam? Doing good. Doing good. Super excited to talk. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we've maybe like been able to just like talk, talk. And um, one of the things that I've always really wanted to pick your brain on, I'm a couple months behind, so please forgive me, is the Duke-BYU volleyball incident, I'll call it, right? There was this huge uh, national kind of uproar initially, um, but I'm not sure we saw any change really like come from that. Uh, can you kind of speak to kind of what you saw from your lens and then maybe some places where either we got it right or maybe we just missed the boat? Uh, as a society? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a situation that really, if you talk to many Black athletes, they go through. They're at a school and someone's saying something problematic. Like, this is not the first... I think, for me, I was a little surprised because people were acting like this is the first time it's ever happened. And the amount of times it has happened 
for professional, for college, for high school. I mean, it's overwhelming because it's like this young lady is telling her story, which so many people it resonates with and have been through. And people are acting like it just doesn't exist, especially when we're talking about going to any city, state or school, which is like over 80 percent white. Like these things happen and they happen at high rates. I think the thing that people should understand is just because you people don't say it doesn't mean it's not happening. Absolutely. Because there's an element of safety that these athletes have to think about, especially if they're on an all-white team. Are they like, if I talk about this, what are going to be the repercussions, not only to me, but to my teammates? What's right. that going to look like? How are they going to feel if I say something about this and it potentially jeopardizes this game or our season? And so right. what you'll tend to see with a lot of black athletes is this X and Y has happened to me. But I didn't want to say anything because I was worried about what the fallout would be. So I'm just going to keep this pain to myself or laugh it off other than addressing it for what's occurring. Because black people, not only in sports, but in all through positions, understand that there is a pro and con list for talking about your experiences in higher ed, in in corporate America, in the government. Anyone can tell you if you are going to talk about race. Be prepared for a fallout. We have oh, seen yeah. so many people dive on on the on the sword because of that, right? So many people. We saw Colin Kaepernick dive on the sword. We saw, um, right? Oh boy, who's now with the Steelers, the head coach from the Dolphins. <gasps> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Flores. Flores died yeah. on the sword, right? Like we're seeing that happens. Yeah. That if you talk about race, there is a potential that you will not, you will be fired, and you will not get a job again in sports. So, yeah. or in yeah. corporate America, wherever it is. So people understand if I talk about my experiences, then there is going to be potentially a fallout that will affect me. I know people who are have gone through long situations where they work and they're like, man, I can sue. But if I sue, that's the end of it. Long term. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. My career is done, done, done for. Absolutely. And so I think with, with BYU, you, we saw this situation in Duke of this girl saying something which so when I was at Illinois, we played at BYU. BYU, their volleyball um, facility gives a phenomenal experience. Like the fans are breathing on your neck. You can't hear yourself think. They are screaming, yelling, right? So this idea that someone near the server could say something and people not hear it, I, to me, it's like if you're at a concert. If you're at a concert with a friend and you are five feet away, you're not going to be able to hear what they say, much less anyone else with all the noise. And so right. this idea of, well, other people didn't hear it or, we, you know, her, her teammates didn't hear it. Her teammates were 15 feet away. Like, I don't think people, like, rationalize what it means that you can be close to someone and someone say oh, yeah. something and you hear it and people in the vicinity not, especially when it's a loud place. Especially in so sports, think, especially yes. in sports. I mean, I mean, and that's not just limited to volleyball. There's a lot of places you can go. I mean, it's the very reason why a lot of coaches will give signals for plays because, like yes. you said, you go to some places and not have a clue what's going on. Not yeah, that's, at all. That's, yeah, that is so true. So when they're like trying to excuse it away of like, well, people didn't hear her teammates didn't hear it. her teammates are 15 feet away. They're not going to hear. And so I right. think the problem is is that people are trying to excuse it away versus saying like. In this type of atmosphere, there is a high probability of this thing happening. And right. the reality of the situation is that this has happened before. Because after that, I think something came out with their soccer team. Like this, we have to look at the whole picture. Yeah. And so I think 
when we saw the fact of, um, you know, they, like we're going to do our own inter- internal investigation. I think we also have to ask who's a part of those investigations. And this isn't for the BYU Duke. This is for anyone who does internal investigations. Who's a part of it? And is it problematic that you're doing your own internal investigation? Because if you ask me, if I kill someone and you're like, Jen, do your own investigation on you. Well, baby, I was not guilty. I ain't killed right. nobody. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> also a part that we have to think about who's involved with the investigation, who's involved with the school and thinking like a little bit on a bigger scale of that. And so, you know, you asked about this idea of we haven't seen change. I mean, I think the first thing is, is that BYU did move out part of that um, student section. Okay. And so like to me, there shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to feel a student breathing on me. Like there should be some distance just out of protection. Like Absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing at Duke, right? Cameron indoor, like you have the fans, right? We should give these athletes some type of protection because we just aren't, we're allowing them to be there and people to be around them and touch them and, and say stuff to them. And so it's kind of like, how can we be proactive in making sure that we're, we're protecting our coaches, we're protecting our athletes. I mean, I think about right. what happened with uh, Michigan State and Michigan in that tunnel. Bro, yeah. why do you only have a tunnel that both teams in this right. really intense rivalry have to go through? I'm not right. using anything that Michigan State did. And, like, that should be something that we think about, is what potentially can happen if there's a team that's mad and they both have to go through the tunnel at the same time. Like, what does that look like? And so I think it should make schools do a few things. A, think about the student section and, and where it is in relation to the athletes. Is it safe? Uh-huh. Two, I think it makes them think about if you are the home the host team, what is your protocol when things like this happen? Who's in charge of what? Because right. many times schools will wait till after the fact and then be like, okay, let's put this stuff in, in, into place versus saying, okay, not if, but when. When does it happen? How are we going to manage it? So let's be proactive in thinking about this. How are we going to manage it? Who's in charge of what? Who Who is calling the police at what point? Right? Who's making the announcement? Is it the coach? Is it the AD? Like thinking about putting yeah, a very flexible list. Yes. Because yeah. so many times people don't have any of this structure. And yeah. they also think I gave the sportsmanship statement at the front at the beginning. So right. that should be good enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, wow. that's your work. We read the stock statement from the league and yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much there. I, I love, um, you kind of touched on this even at the beginning about this notion that, uh, perhaps her, her claim was not credible because there was no one else there to validate it. And, and it's, you know, it, it almost makes your skin crawl to really have to entertain how many folks have to hear you say it to me for it to be yes. valid. Um, I was actually having a conversation with a, a professional buddy, uh, Maybe it was maybe a year or two ago, something Craig's men's basketball coach used a, a phrase yes. in the locker room, something about telling this guys to get back, stay on the plantation or something like that. Yes. And the person I was speaking with who was in athletics didn't see the issue with it, right? If there was really a problem, one of the assistants would have said something. And I was trying to explain to him, knowing one of the assistants there, that you you not you now put this black man in a very awkward spot because he's got to be big brother to these athletes. But if I say anything, again, to your point, I'm now blackballed, right? I'm out of a job, uh, you know, and, and it's very difficult for us to bounce back. Kind of in, in, in that same light, um, just within the last maybe 48 hours, um, it is interesting that both Will Wade, 
who was, by all accounts, cheating at LSU and, and proven, uh, and as well as Chris Beard, who was just fired uh, at, at Texas, both have jobs. And it seems to me as if that same leeway or grace does not exist for black and brown coaches in, in, in this country. Do you see any way in which that tide ever shifts? Uh, I mean, I, I was trying really hard to even think of an example of somebody who just downright shouldn't have another job that got one who looks like me. And I, I was struggling. I was struggling to really think about. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that you're struggling because I got a name. Uh, and you're going to be like, OK, hold on. Give me one second. Let me think. I'm thinking about what sport? No. Uh-uh. Who, am I, who am I missing? I'm thinking football. I'm thinking basketball. Nope, go ahead. I'm about to kick myself. Samson. Oh! <laughs> you know what? But, okay, okay, okay. All right. Yep. However, to that end, I will say this. You And you're right. At least he was disciplined. There was a show calls or whatever. Yes. We had to go coach in the NBA for a while and then come back. We're talking about two guys who really didn't even get a slap on the head. You're right, though. That was ooh, that was a good one. That was that was a good one. <laughs> Other than Samson, right? Do we? I mean, it's just. But even his his case, right? I mean, it's just so out of the norm that you you're able to bounce back like that. When, when, winning helps you bounce back a lot. If you're a proven winner, oh. right, they will they will do whatever. And I was actually just seeing this tweet um, by Dre uh, underscore is reloaded. He says, Rick Pitino working, Will Wade working, Sean Mello working, Chris Beard working, right? Literally, yep, self. Um, literally every head coach involved in the whole investigation is working. It's already yep. 30 openings in college basketball, and there's no way you can't tell me that. Um, he's talking about Book Richardson isn't qualified yeah. to be on staff. Yeah, yeah. And, I think, right, that's the thing is that they do these things and we know that they'll get a slap on the wrist and, may, you know, go disappear for a year and then they'll come yeah. back and get a job. But these folks getting jobs left and right. And I think we have to right, talk about that, this idea that they can do some of these things and still keep their job or, yeah. or not keep their job, but find a new one immediately. I mean, I think it's wild. And it just talks about winning that when, if you can win, we will ignore a lot of stuff but we will not ignore it if you're black. You know what I mean? Like the fact that we had to sit here and you'd be like, who is the one basketball, yeah, yeah. the one uh, anomaly, the one, I mean, one anomaly. Yeah. And that stuff is, it's not where you can be like, well, there's all these people, there's one anomaly and anyone else, you know, black coaches have to walk such a tightrope. Oh yeah. And have, they cannot make errors. If they make errors, they will go down. They have to go down, down, down and coach like JV high school to try and work their way right. back and take 10, 15 years. I mean, think about old boy who was at, um, wasn't Morgan state who was caught giving money oh, yeah. to his athletes at kale at Cal yeah. and how he had to like disappear. He was gone for like 10 yeah. years out the game. Off right. The grid. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And I think you can almost even make the argument now that winning isn't even the the justifier. I mean, I, I'm not sure that Will Wade uh, is is a is a top 25, top 30, top 50 coach, you know, X's and O type guy, you know. But you, again, you look at the, the Bill Selfs of the world and several other people. It's just so interesting how it, it, one common denominator with a lot of these guys too is that their lead assistant, or it often is a person of color, uh, who when we see we see Bruce Pearl right, but Chuck Person mm-hmm. is in trouble. Right. We, we, we see 
you know, Book Richardson t- taking a fall Miller, right? We see this time and time again. You're good enough of a coach because, because you can go get the players and you can mm-hmm. actually relate to the players and you know the game. But when it comes time, right, to to truly be a disciplined program for some strange reason, those guys have been able to evade uh, the discipline that seems to come down for someone who's in charge, uh, you know, of a program. Well, I mean, if we look at how much was happening in the NFL, so many of those coaches are stuck at OCs and DCs and never getting the head coach opportunity. Even though they are winning championships, they're doing all this stuff, they're still not getting right. the nod. Like, this NFL hiring cycle is like, shown its, its ass way too much. Uh, right? Yeah. Like, these yeah, people yeah. who, I mean, I feel bad. We look at the Texans and now, like, how they're cycling through black coaches. And less giving than a year. like right less than a year, and then they're just yeah. kicked. Like there's just no real opportunity. And God, if you screw up, you're not getting another opportunity. Like you oh, have yeah. to be perfect in every single way. I wish that people hiring these head coaches that just got fired for whatever they they ha- they should have to give a reason why they're hiring them. Because you're you're telling yeah. me that there aren't any other good black or brown top assistants that could that should be hired instead. I just find that fascinating. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great great idea. I'm about to explain to us how you how you arrive at that conclusion. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the bigger stories, uh, maybe even longer stories than than we had hoped it would be, was the imprisonment of Brittany Griner. Um, mm. She she goes to, to to Russia to play ball, which is a, a whole other issue within itself. That 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 mm-hmm. the face of a professional American sports league has to go play overseas to make a decent income. That, that's a whole nother conversation, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, you know, she's there for much longer than we'd like her to be. Do you think we will see a change in, or, or maybe a change in resources uh, in the WNBA where those players won't, won't have to go and make those choices? Or do you think it's just a, we'll look at it as just one unfortunate situation. No, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is we need the resources. I can't, I can't remember, but they did the date on how much it would cost to charge her a flight. Because here's the reality. Brittany Griner can't fly commercial now. She can't. There, there ain't no way. Right. There, there is not any hiding Brittany Griner. She, you ain't finna hide her under a towel. That homie is six eight. <laughs> like, right. you need them thin legs. You know who that is. You, you can't hide her. And she's not going to be safe. Like, she's, because you know... Some of these crackpots are going to come up to her and say crazy stuff. Like, you are putting her in a really tough predicament. So I think that there needs to be an element of safety um, regarding her and also these WNBA athletes. And I think it comes down to the resources that we need to have to be able to allow them to fly charter. I mean, they're they're pro athletes. And, you know, the problem is, is that we tend to see people who have never played collegiate or professional sports in their life giving their their two cents you know these no. women these no one watches the WNBA bruh no one watches you play hoop in your park okay <laughs> leave us alone right but like these people want to give off their no one watches the WNBA because it's not like men's basketball we have to quit comparing these sports to each other what we've seen with the ratings is that if you show it people watch it you know when people are like no one watches that well if it's on at 2 a.m on right. ESPN 50, of, of course not. But if you put it in prime time, people are watching. People are watching women's basketball, women's volleyball. Women's, like People are watching these sports. I'm actually yeah. going to um, the Mercury's home opener mm. on the 21st. 
still going yet. My sister wanted to get tickets, so I'm super excited. But like people watch it, people want to go, right? And I think with you know with Brittany Griner, that situation, like you said, I mean, we can talk for hours about them having to go overseas, having to play the two two seasons essentially, and that whole thing. But I think what it shows is just that when you go overseas and you're black, there's just a level of unsafety that you travel with, right? I travel by myself a lot and there's a level of, of not being safe, but now I think it's very unsettling because it really shows. And I was just talking with a friend about this. You can disappear and no one would know. And Brittany Griner, luckily is Brittany Griner, but what if that was someone else? It right, would take right. forever to get through to the embassy to try and figure it like all of those steps. And so it just leaves kind of like this, I could disappear and no one would know, right? We just saw those right. four black people go to Mexico and the car- cartel yeah. accidentally shot and kidnapped them. And the right. fact that the cartel's PR firm was like, um, we'd like to make an apology. Here are the people we did not mean for, like the PR right. came out just like no. But like, it's just scary because when you're overseas, you don't have those connections and you can disappear. A big thing is, is people like, you got to make sure sending your itinerary to folks that there's a way that they know where you're staying, that they something. And I'm also saying this for myself because I'm bad at like, I'll just go and just call people. But I'm like, no, I need to make sure people have my itinerary. People know where I'm at just for a safety issue. You could just disappear into some jail somewhere and people not have a clue regardless Absolutely. of like the reason. Right. Cause I mean, the thing with Brittany Griner is people were like, that's what she gets for thinking she could take weed. I'm like, bruh, I know you got a lot of friends that are illegally smoking weed. Like, stop it. Stop now being the moral <laughs> brigade that you just, right? Like, just stop it. You know, I hope for these people that play professional, they're talking with their agents about that. Mm-hmm. I hope they're now having some in-depth conversations about safety. I mean, she was making a million dollars there, right? That contract is big money. It's, like, am I going to be safe if I go to those places? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I, I think that... Um... Is something that we have to be mindful of, and I think maybe even more mindful of than we were in the past, right? I think that there was a there was a thought that we had to, but I think Brittany Grinder's situation makes us much more uh, intentional about thinking about that. Uh, but I'm glad she's back. Uh, I'm glad for the game. I'm glad for her safety. You have to have her uh, in the league. She is a staple uh, of the league. But kind of in the same vein of women's basketball, one of the more interesting dynamics we've seen here as of recently, is a shift in power uh, in women's college basketball. Uh, for years, uh, Pat Summit, uh, I'll even say pre-Pat Summit, we saw Louisiana Tech running the show, and then Tennessee with Pat Summit, and then Geno, and UConn, and then now Dawn Staley is uh, lord of all in women's basketball, and it is so fun to watch. And apparently it's fun to watch for everybody except for Gino Ariema. And so uh, my... my <laughs> My question to you, you know, is is it's just so interesting to watch the. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this: I think I can say this and and be honest. And I'm bothered by the way that he speaks to her and about her, and her program, as as a black man. That bothers me, and, and it does just from the. There's a lot of 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 privilege and aggression, in in historical borderline servitude context. Like, you know, um, I've never heard him talk about another coach in that way. Uh, but for some strange reason, you know, the the, the black girl from UVA who, who's coaching at, at South Carolina really gets under his skin. 
And, and a part of me, I, I actually think there's some back and forth between coaches is good for, for sport, but I'm not sure that this is a back and forth between coaches. This, to me, this looks more like a, I don't like you, you know, the, your brand of ball, you know, he's, he's calling them uh, football players. They're playing rough. I mean, we just saw something very similar here in, in Oklahoma City. We had three predominantly black high schools win state championships on Saturday. And by Sunday morning, so many parents were calling them thugs and, and all kinds of things on Twitter, right? And, until people started dragging them when they finally LinkedIn pages. But <laughs> my, my, my question to you is, how do we... How do we how do we get to this place between Gino and Dawn? And and I mean, are we right in thinking that this isn't healthy the way that he interacts with her? Well, I you know I think the, the the first thing about it is this idea that um if black athletes play with any physicalness, there's an immediate calling them a thug, right? Like I I looked up what he said and was like, um, you know, if you want to bring in guard Lou in, and you can see the bruises on her body, it's just appalling what teams do to her now. It's not basketball anymore. I don't know what it is, but it's not basketball. And so then, you know, um, Gino, who threw a water bottle onto the court at one point, did bring up the most controversial play and talked about it and said, um, well, you're just talking about the play. And I think here's the thing about it is that sports is physical and aggressive. Like, Absolutely. And basketball. Yo, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm too soft to play basketball. I'm going to say this right now. Because the way they be playing basketball, my too body much. is not meant to fall on that hard floor. <laughs> like, they they are playing. And this is how men's games are. Like, this is, I don't understand what he expects. Like, there are bruises on her body. And I bet Lou also caused bruises on other people's bodies. Right? right? Like, what do you mean? Like, that's the thing about it is I think we have to talk about their racial and gender lens all the time. Like, people want to just say, well, let's just talk about basketball. You can't just talk about basketball. There's also an intersection of race and gender when we talk about right. it. And, you know, the fact that he's literally trying to make it seem and, and what you'll see people try and do is, is do like wordplay semantics. Well, I didn't say this. No, but you gave all the language to make someone Absolutely. believe you were talking about that. Absolutely. You gave all the language. And so that's the thing is that people will try and play that word game. It's like, it, it's like, I didn't talk about a salad. I just said I wanted something with shredded lettuce, with a lot of vegetables, with a <laughs> dressing on top, and maybe some grilled chicken. Talk about a salad. Right. I just talked about vegetable medley. You, you're drawing your own conclusions. Well, that's what you're doing is you're literally talking all about this, but not trying to say the words because the no, you know the words will, will have everything blow up. And I think right. it goes back to this thing about when we're talking about black bodies, black female, uh, female bodies, women's bodies, is what language is being used around them. And we, we saw with that mm. language with Gino, it was like, look at her, look at her, her bruises, almost like, look at this gentle person and these black uh, aggressive thugs just right. came and attacked her. Like, look at this. And it's like, bruh, we are aggressive. Like, we are aggressive in this game. We are, if, if I'm Don Staley, I'm like, bro, we, we are number one. You thought we got to number one by tiptoeing through the tulip? No. We are impressive. I mean, it is what it is. Like, when you see with men, we see with men's teams all the time. I feel like sports oh, yeah. center, you just click through. It's just men's teams fight. But when women's teams get aggressive, it's like, oh, look at her poor, you know, bruises. That's really trying to separate saying these thugs attack my poor, delicate person. No. Right. You have aggressive athletes on your team. It's going to get aggressive. 
period, oh, yeah. point blank. So I think his, his language absolutely had a, a racial and gender aspect to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was it was it was all fun till the rabbit got the gun, right? It was it was mm-hmm. when you when you get go into any high school and get any young lady that you wanted, and you had all the size and all the physicality and all the shooting and all the ball handling. It was no problem, right? And any and when people accused you of playing that way, you would say, "Well, we won by fifty, right? It wasn't that. It was it we're just better than you." Now, when the when the playing field has been leveled, there's no right. It has this implication that there's no way that this black woman could possibly be as good as a coach as, mm-hmm. uh, as I am or good, as good as a recruiter as I am, right? But but I'm, I don't see him taking that same posture, you know, with, with some other people uh, in, in the league. But it's uh, no. I mean, in, in women's basketball. It's just so interesting to, to see that uh, from him. But I'm not shocked. I mean, I just, just not. Like, right? Like, it's not, I mean, I'm looking back, Right. Just I'm trying to like look back at some of the stuff. Like I mean, back in '05, UConn women's basketball players in trouble after fights. I mean, like right. <laughs> you're gonna have that, and he's doing his athletes a disservice. An absolute disservice. Absolutely. And to your point, it's the language, right? Rebecca Lobo was was physical. Uh, the young ladies on South Carolina are thugs, right? It's it's the same. we just use a different word to describe, right? It's, did it's it, the language. Didn't Tarasi play for him? Yeah, one of the dirtiest players in the history of the game. But hey, what? what I'm just saying, it is. Yeah. About, what are we talking about now? So interesting. So interesting. Yeah, I, I love that Don Staley is absolutely um, just dominating, dominating the sport. Um, we'll get, I guess we'll get ready to land this plane here in just just a minute. So there are like so many spinning wheels right now in sport and and one of them uh I'm, I'm hoping that you've kind of kept up with as well is brother Lamar Jackson uh who is quarterback uh, there of the Ravens and right he, he kind of shuts it down in the season with the injury and uh the Ravens have decided that this MVP quarterback who is young and in his prime uh, that they are not going to give him the money that he likes, right? They put him in a situation where other folks can uh, kind of take a shot at him and all this good stuff. But now you start to see teams coming out pretty much colluding, saying that we we're not going we're not going to make a bid on him. And it's, it, they're teams that obviously need a quarterback, right? Uh, and I'm blown away. And I ask this question to you because we watched the Aaron Rodgers song and dance two summers in a row now. But but there's been nobody coming out saying, "Hey, let's let's load the market up and make it hard for him," right? But all of a sudden, with Lamar, it seems to be that there's this solidarity of, you know, we're just we just aren't going to give him the money that he rightfully uh, deserves. Um, is there any? Golly, I want to say hope, but is there any? Yeah, is there any hope for the NFL to actually figure out which way is up? I mean, between Kaepernick to the lack of coaching opportunities, to even with stuff like this. It just seems like they keep stepping in their own way. I mean, we see this colluding because it almost feels like we don't want you to think you'll have the power that you should have. And we right. want to keep you in your in your place. So the way to keep you in your place is to make sure, because if you do this, other people are going to want to do this. And we don't want other people doing this and advocating right. for themselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we all right say we're not going to bid. We're not going to bid. So you have to take that team's offer, even though we are literally like 
punching ourselves in the face because we need you to win. Right. Us winning is not important is not is not more important than us keeping you in your place. Absolutely. 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 And, and again, it, it, I just think that the timing of this is so interesting because we're in year two of the Aaron Rodgers. Let's see where I want to go. Let's see where I want to go. Let's see. Right. And even if teams feel that way, they haven't publicly come out to, to sandbag them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost wondering if this is because the NBA seems to have that power dynamic shift to where players, predominantly black players, uh, are are pretty much uh, calling the shots, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't want that. So the way we do this is that we're going to make sure that you don't get the offers you want. So you have to take this offer. And really, do you want, are you going to want a quarterback that you kind of forced to stay there? You think that he's going to really want to win you a championship? I mean, I, I just, right. I couldn't imagine if I'm forced to stay here. I, I just don't know about that. It's just, I think it's wild. And we, we tend to see this always happen is that, you know, this idea of going against your best interest. We see it so much. This idea of, of voting against your best interest, doing yeah. anything that's against your best interest. And then al- instead of allowing, or, or I don't even want to say allowing, but ha- creating an organization where athletes can advocate for themselves and get the money or whatever it is they're worth. It's like, let's play these games because even though we desperately need him, we have to make sure we're aligned so that in the future, if this thing happens with us, that, that team is going to help us out. And it's like, absolutely. so that's why it's always interesting when people are like, Oh, you know, pro sports is a meritocracy. Pro sports is um, only the best persons out there. Only it's, it's not true. And we're seeing that live. Because for years, so many people need another quarterback. They would go rather get uh, someone making a sub at Subway than to call Captain. <laughs> right? They'd be like, oh, so you used to play a little high school ball. Cool. Uh, you know, and versus doing the right thing for their program and saying, we're going to give this person a chance. Because here's the thing, and this kind of goes back to like the being proactive part, mm-hmm. is that if people said, okay, Let's break down our sponsorship, our demographics. Let's see where it is. Okay, so if we ha- if we bring in Colin Kaepernick, it's going to affect this group, but the money that's going to come in, oh, it's going to outright. Like if we look at what Nike did with Colin Kaepernick, Nike mm-hmm. knew that there was going to be a percentage of people who were going to never shop with them and burn the air the the sixty five dollar Air Monarch, <laughs> but they knew that the people who were going to spend money were spending a hundred two hundred. $50 on some Jordans and we're right. going to spend $600 on that, that Jersey. So they were willing to lose the, the people burning their air monarchs for the folks that they knew was going to buy $2,000 right. of stuff right out the bat. And I don't think a lot of teams play those number games, especially when they need a quarterback. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to lose some people, but trust and believe, you know how many people are going to go, go watch for Colin Kaepernick's first season back. Oh yeah. Everyone, but they, they, that means that they would have to push back on people. And the one thing I've realized, which is why, like, you know, my company took like a pivot and we talk more at the intersection of conflict and DEI, is people need to talk about conflict because yeah. you have to understand that people are not going to like 100% of your decisions. And I see that a lot of people in power are so afraid for people not to like their decisions, so they won't make any decisions. 
And people are like, are you going to make a decision? Are you going to make a decision? No, because they are afraid of the blowback versus saying, let's take a look at who our demographics are, who our sponsors are, who right. our donors are. If we make this decision, this is who it's going to affect. Well, we know it will affect this one sponsor. So let's put Wes on this one sponsor because he right. can talk to him. They don't think about like proactively that. It's like, I'm just not going to make a decision because I don't want blowback. When in reality, like putting Pop Kelly Kaepernick on your team, you are going to get so much marketing. And right, was it bad publicity is still publicity? Fox News, Breitbart, all of them are going to write all these think pieces on Colin Kaepernick, driving up everyone going to go watch. I need to go see this guy, going on your social media, right. reading the articles, buying the stuff. Like it's the amount of press you would get would surpass any concerns you had. But people don't want to think yeah. about that. And they're not like, listen, we know we're going to get some blowback. It is what it is. So, people don't want that. That's so interesting, though. I mean, it's a very valid point. But it's, the part that's interesting to me is that I, I feel like in other realms, right, teams take that calculated risk. They do the math, right, when they bring back people who have been who have abused women or who have gotten DUIs or who have been to prison, who have it, like you? You can do almost anything and get another shot in the league, except stand up for social justice. Mm-hmm. And so, and so it's not it's, it's not a matter of right of we don't want blowback. We just we don't want your blowback. We don't want that blowback, right? And and it's I mean, even go back to Chris Jackson or McMood Abdul Raouf, right? Years ago with the NBA, like people just go Craig Hodges with the Bulls. People just didn't want to touch it, you know. And again, you you I just don't understand how you can. You know, you, you you can advocate for people. Again, Chris Beer has a job and Book is still is still looking, right? I mean, it's it's just it's amazing to me how you you pick and choose when you think people deserve a second chance or when you think somebody deserves an opportunity. But I guess to your overall point, it kind of speaks to who they are, what the, what their brand is, and you know, uh, I don't want to do anything to make the other owners mad. So I can keep yeah. getting my cut of this multi-billion dollar well, pie. I mean, Gary, look, think about Ray Rice. How right. they were going to give him like what a game or two suspension. And they had all seen that video of him yes. dragging a girl out and like TKOing her. Right. Yeah. Complete knockout. And they were going to bring him back until the video got out, got out. And they was like, oh, well, no, we're not. You were about to bring this man back that did that to a woman. And so 100% agree with no, I mean, he he drug her out of that elevator and was like, it's a normal Tuesday for him. Yeah. What what is the, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 is it incognito, Rich Richie incognito, the lineman who, I mean, just that dude has been on like 16 since all that stuff suffers with him. You know, (laughs) it's just mind blowing, man. It is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, but when it comes to the racial aspect, people are going to stand down really quickly. People are really, really quickly going to stand down. It is mind-boggling. When it is the difference between doing what's right and getting the blowback on that, with the quickness, people are going to stand down. And I think that speaks to, to bigger things of what is it about this issue that makes you want to stand down. And people starting to critically analyze that. Because like you said, they'll bring back the, the array of people, I mean, what is it about the racial dynamic? What is it about that aspect that is different from all of it? Is it considered like this loss of control? Is it that if we allow this to happen, other things will happen? Is it like really about control, 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 control? And I feel bad for Lamar mm. Jackson, right? Who, who's put in this situation of not getting his worth 
Yeah. And and potentially having to stay with the Ravens and be devalued. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and I, I would I would even drill further to say that I think the racial component over on it is willing to be touched if it's the right people who use the language. We look at Riley Cooper, right, who maintained an NFL career. We look at Miles Leonard is back in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Colin Kaepernick can't get it. Like it, it's just so interesting to me how uh, we pick and choose, you know, who's who's worthy of that opportunity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which it, well, Jen, I've enjoyed uh, so much uh, being able to have a chance to catch up with you. And uh, why don't you tell us where we can, uh, where folks can find you and how they can follow you and uh, all that good stuff. Yes. All over social media, Jen Fry Talks. You can do it on Instagram, the TikTok, the Twitter, Facebook, the Twitter. The Twitter. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Jen Fry Talks everywhere. Gen, info at jenfrytalks.com if you want to shoot me an email, but no crazy stuff because we're not about that life. Um, <laughs> jenfrytalks at all aspects. I also have a group travel app that's come out meant to help you streamline your information, communication, and logistics all in one. It's called Cordle, C-O-O-R-D-L-E. Go download Sweet. it in the app store. Find me at Cordle app on all social media as well. We would love to chat with you about that. Download it and use it and give me feedback. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Jim, we thank you again. And uh, we look forward to having you back here real soon. Absolutely. Bye, friends. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Dr. Jen Fry for taking her time and sharing her expertise with us. Just a great, wide-ranging conversation. And if you get a chance to check her out on social media and the various platforms she has, uh, check out her new Coral app. You'll be blessed by that. You'll really, really benefit from hearing more of what she has to say and taking part in more of what she's done. Well, as we start to wrap up, some things that we might keep an eye on the next couple of weeks. For me, even though this may be a longer term runway, the Johnson v. NCAA case uh, that's at the circuit court level looking at the question of whether college athletes should be considered employees according to national labor law. And we'll talk more about this down the road as the case moves along. But frankly, there are a lot of boxes that are checked uh, that just by the letter of the law, you could definitely consider uh, college athletes as employees. And a lot of that is rooted in the amount of control that universities and athletic departments and coaches have over the athletes and their time and how they can and cannot spend their time. And uh, the latest hearings, which uh, they were looking to see whether this case should actually go to trial or not, the judges, one of which was appointed by Clinton, one of which was appointed by President Obama and one of which was appointed by President Trump, all of them seemed pretty hostile to the NCAA's case. They were asking a lot of tough questions of the NCAA attorney. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that case. And we don't know when the ruling will come down in terms of when they're going to say whether this should go to trial or not, or what the next steps will be. Uh, That's just kind of in the legal process. We don't know. But that's definitely something to keep an eye on. How about you, Gary? What are you keeping an eye on? A couple of things for me. Uh, I am uh, intrigued uh, by uh, the Calvin Ridley situation. 
Um, if we remember, he got into a little bit of trouble with gambling on uh, NFL games. And uh, it seems as if he's beginning to open up about maybe some personal things that he may have had going on uh, in his life, uh, things relating to mental health issues and even just about his upbringing and things like that. And so uh, I'll be intrigued to see uh, hopefully that uh, it begins a path of him being able to bounce back, getting the help that he needs. Uh, but I, I, I'll definitely be keeping my eye upon this situation to see if he if he's afforded the same opportunities as as some others who've made some 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 other transgressions, uh, to have a chance to maybe restart his career, uh, have another chance to play uh, in the NFL. And then I think the other big thing that I may be keeping my eye on here in the near future is the uh, Chicago Bears. They they made the decision to move out of that first pick, hold on to Justin Fields. There was a lot of uh, chatter about whether or not he was the guy or if he wasn't the guy, uh, would they take another quarterback with that pick? And by them moving that pick, uh, all all indicators seem that that uh, they're pointing toward Fields being their guy. And so it'd be intriguing, intriguing to see how they, along with several other teams, but how they build around him in the upcoming draft uh, as well. And so that it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of what materializes from the Bears deciding to get rid of that number one pick and hold on to fields. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about that wide receiver core with more yeah. going over in the trade as well. And you mentioned Ridley. I mean, if he, if he comes in and makes a big impact uh, with the Jaguars with the emergence of Evan Ingram last year and, of course, oh, yeah. Trevor Lawrence uh, as the signal caller, I mean, they were obviously dangerous last year. It'd be uh, even better. It'd be even more so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we wind things down, uh, what's a word that's lifted you up here in the last few days? Yeah, so a couple of days ago, uh, I had a chance to host an International Women's Day panel and had a chance to uh, visit with or hear from uh, one of our panelists was a young lady by the name of Sharina Perry, and she's the CEO, uh, owner, creator of Utopia Plastics, and uh, just a really, really fascinating uh, entrepreneur and uh, just a very fascinating uh, um, lane that she's operating in uh, as well. One of the things, amongst several amazing things that she said there uh, that really, really stuck with me uh, was that she spoke to the commitment that she made for those coming behind her. Uh, she said, I, I, I always set out to shatter glass ceilings, right? She said, but I'm beyond shattering glass ceilings now. She said, my job is to kick the door in and to leave the door open, right? To to do whatever it takes, in essence, to get this opportunity, right? And then to ensure that I leave the door open for someone to come behind me and have that same opportunity. And so for me, that's really, really been sitting with me just in everything that I do uh, to not only ensure that I am creating opportunity and creating change, but in what ways am I doing that that also empowers those that will come behind me to not have to kick down the same doors that I've already had to push down? How am I leaving doors open and providing opportunity for those behind me? And so for me, that's something that's really been sitting on me. Uh, just a great, great word of encouragement, advice uh, to anybody who's who's pressing forward in any facet of life. Yeah. I guess on on my side of things, uh, we're doing a, a series uh, at church right now about you know unity in the spirit, just this idea of being one. And obviously, we've seen 
as our country has become more fractured, we've seen churches become even more fractured beyond, you know, even just the kind of the, the racial segregation that is inherent, uh, sadly, in church going and, and congregations. Mm-hmm. But uh, even in the midst of congregations that have been you know, more united in recent years, they've become fractured, whether it be around politics or race or uh, different, you know, social issues. And so we're having some conversation around that and uh, having some really, really good discussion around that. And one scripture that was brought up during a lesson was Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. It says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that idea of being completely humble, being completely gentle, uh, we've seen Christians be among maybe the most militant and the most uh, Christians not being kind, Christians not being in any way humble and gentle. You know, as a Christian myself, that's something that, you know, I've fallen into that trap in some conversations that I've had, and I've seen others fall into that trap in a way that's really been hurtful and, and harmful. And so I'm just inspired as well as convicted by that idea of being completely humble and completely gentle. And I just pray that I'm able to follow God's leading in that. Amen. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this second edition of DEI on Sports. I hope that as you're walking through your life and walking through your work in sports or beyond, that you're able to make a good difference and just keep doing the work in your sphere of influence. I want to thank Dr. Fry and uh, all those who are participating and supporting our podcast. And thank you for listening. And until next time, be blessed. Adios. Get to it.